Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. In the previous chapter, Paul, the apostle, has been writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he exhorts him to be an example of those who believe. And if Timothy is to be an example, a good example, if he is to fulfill these many instructions that Paul has given to him, if he is to exhort, if he is to teach, if he is to prescribe, if he is to not let people look down on his youthfulness, if he's to take pains with these things. That's all good and helpful instruction. But Paul takes it a step further with Timothy and with us in explaining what that should look like, more particularly based on who Timothy is dealing with. So it turns out, it looks different for Timothy to do all of those things depending on whether he's dealing with a man or a woman, whether he's dealing with someone who's older than him or younger than him, or the same age as him. So, in a sense, Paul has been very general. Here's all these things that you're supposed to do, and then he says, oh, and by the way, Here's what that's going to look like if you're dealing with someone older than you. Here's what you're, if if it's an older man, or here's if it's an older woman, there's, there's particularities to how he's supposed to do those things. And that goes totally against our egalitarian age. Now, egalitarian just means equal, equalitarian, if you will, okay? where we want to deny that there should be any difference on how we treat somebody on the basis of whether they're a man or a woman, or on the basis of whether they're older or younger than us. But Paul is very clear. There are differences. Paul is not an egalitarian, (laughs) which is a little bit uncomfortable for us, but it's all good because it ends up making a lot of sense when you look at it. We learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about our sins in this passage and about our temptations. We also learn about what it looks like to truly do life together as a church body in an appropriate way. There's all kinds of inappropriate ways for us to live with one another to be engaged in the church body life, because that's what all of 1 Timothy is really about. He's writing to a pastor about how the church is supposed to operate, right? And in particular, of course, how the pastor is supposed to operate within the context of that church. And so then what Paul does, and we're only reading a few verses here, but he, he begins to go into the particularities, the details of one class of older women. So he just gets really narrow, and Paul loves to do this. He'll start off with these big, broad 
instructions, and then he'll bring it down and he'll, he'll break it into a couple of categories, and then he'll just do this one really deep dive into one of them, just for example, right? So here's your, just for example, widows. And he begins to spend all of this time instructing Timothy on how Timothy and how the church are supposed to deal with and interact with and love and care for the widows that are a part of the church. They're not supposed to be dealt with the same way as the little kids. Now that is the one place where egalitarianism doesn't apply today entirely yet. We still acknowledge that there should be some difference in how kids and adults are dealt with. But other than that, most everything, we just want everyone to be treated the same. But Paul is adamant. God is clear. It's not supposed to be that way. Not everybody's supposed to be treated the same way. Here are some particulars, and it'll go on beyond this week. So Paul begins to compare the distinct positions and responsibilities of the natural family and the church family, as he instructs us on how and why widows are to be treated a particular way. And not surprisingly, widows are to be treated with some particular honor. Some particular honor. So please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 4. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I want to start by telling a story this morning about myself. You all know I like to tell stories about my kids. Every once in a while, I like to tell one about myself. There was another pastor, a man who was older than I. And when we would talk, we fought. We fought fairly regularly when we would talk. And... He refused to acknowledge the longer years of experience that I had in certain areas of ministry. And I refused to give him the respect that his greater age demanded. And so we sat in our pride and argued and fought with one another. Now, is that good, kids? Is it good to sit and argue and fight because you're proud? No, it's, it's very bad. There is, in this 
passage instruction to me about how I am to interact as pastor with people in the church, particular people. That how I interact with an older man, even if that older man is in sin, is to be tempered by the fact that he is an older man. It's to be honed by that one fact. I am to interact with him knowing that because he is an older man, he deserves particular honor. Now, this has application in all kinds of relationships. When you think about one of the confusing things about raising kids, one of the confusing things is that you've got older and younger kids and that they transition through quickly through these these phases where the older ones are growing and they are growing in knowledge and they're growing in ability and they're growing in... uh, in wisdom, and the younger ones are still behind in those areas, and the older ones want to begin to boss the younger ones around, right? They're not in charge, but they think they're in charge, right? And there is something quite natural built into the world the way that God has made things such that as you get older and as you learn more and as you grow in wisdom and knowledge and and even strength, that you help out and instruct those who are younger, weaker, less knowledgeable, right? But it doesn't mean that as an older brother, you're allowed to smack your younger brother and say, why don't you do what I'm telling you? Right? Are you allowed to do that, kids? No. No. So it takes us many, many years. It does not, we do not solve this in childhood. We do not realize by the time we're 18 suddenly how we fit into the world and how we're to interact with others. We, we learn it and learn it and learn it and learn it. And here Timothy is, he's a pastor, and Paul's writing him and telling him, Here's how, you know, you need to learn the right way to deal with older men and and older women and and younger men and and younger women. And of course, he says about the younger women, you're supposed to treat them as sisters. And he mentions purity. Isn't that interesting? No, it's not interesting. It's obvious, right? And yet, it doesn't go without saying. Of course, there's some temptation there for a younger pastor. You know, we've seen this over and over again, that pastors fall into sin in the area of sexual immorality. And and how does that typically come? Often it comes through instruction, teaching, loving, caring for those younger women, right? Counseling situations, right? Isn't you, you see that these are the places. It's not. It's not that. Uh, many men 
who are out there are wolves who are seeking those to devour. But there are also those men who are not seeking anybody to devour, but who fall into sin themselves. We need to understand the difference between those two things. All I'm saying is that there are many pastors who have fallen into sin, not because they were in the ministry in order to find some way to sin and take advantage of people, right? But simply through seeking to do their work of exhorting, teaching, prescribing these things, all these things that Timothy just got done being told to do by Paul, that then, by not being careful in how they interact with the younger women, they suddenly find themselves falling into sin. You see how this happens, right? And so Paul says to Timothy, treat them as a sister, as your sister. Not just as your sister in Christ, but he's actually connecting it to the physical reality of brother and sister. Such that this should never cross your mind to do anything impure with them. So that's just one of the categories that he gives. And he says, you are to treat this group of people in the church this particular way, pastor. Does this mean that Timothy is unable to point out the sin and to, and to rebuke and to, uh, to call to repentance those who are older than him in the church? No, it doesn't. And this is this is one of those places where we always want to go wrong. Older people who are having younger people tell them, Mama said, you can't... What? I don't know. You can't get a snack before dinner. Does, the, does, does older brother want to hear that? No, I'm older. You can't tell me what to do, right? And, and we still do that when we're adults, when a younger man comes to us and says, you know, I don't think you should do that. The hair on the back of our neck stands up and we bristle, right? And we don't want to hear it. We don't want them to tell us. And so there's always an excuse for not wanting to hear the clear commands of God for not wanting to hear where we are falling short, right? If it's somebody who's younger than us, well, they have no right to talk to us that way. If it's somebody who's the same age as us, well, who do they think they are anyway? They're just my peer. And if it's somebody that's older than us, then, well, what do they understand anyway? How they're past, they didn't live in our world. They didn't grow up having to deal with the things that we grew up having to deal with. And so, what do you know? Nobody can tell us what to do, right? 
But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's giving specific instruction to Timothy to prescribe and teach these things. And then he says, but don't go to the older men and what? What does it say? Rebuke sharply. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. Now, who is the father in the church at Ephesus that Paul is writing to Timothy as Timothy is working in Ephesus? Who's the father? Anybody want to answer that one, actually? Who's the father? God the father. That's a good answer. God is the father of that church. Timothy is, in a very real sense, the father there. He's been placed into the position of pastor to lead, to teach, to exhort, to discipline. He's been given the work of fathering that church. And so what you might say is that uh, you might want to argue and say, no, Paul is the father of the church at Ephesus, right? Because Paul went there on his missionary journey, he was preaching, he, he gathered the church in the first place. Okay, fine, you want to say Paul's the father? Fine, let's, Paul's the father. I'd, I'd prefer to say Timothy's the the father, maybe Paul's the grandfather. <laughs> but either way, you've got these two men, Timothy and Paul, who very clearly have this work that, that they care for and love and take responsibility for this body of believers in Ephesus, right? And you see Paul talking about that in other places where he, he mentions all of the physical suffering that he's gone through, and then he ends this list of troubles and trials, shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead and so forth. And he says, besides that, I have the daily care for all of the churches. He loves the people of the church in Ephesus, doesn't he? So why do I bring up who's the father? Well, because I want you to see that Again, when, when Timothy is being instructed by Paul to treat the older men as fathers, he's not saying those who are the spiritual fathers treat as spiritual fathers. These are older men, period. That's it. It's not that they somehow have to earn the right to be treated as fathers. They have lived. Their their earning that right was simply living more days than you. That's it. They lived those days. They earned that right. Now, is is it such a big right? Well, no, we're still always confused. Remember I said it's so hard for kids to figure this out. We start out thinking, well, just because I've lived more days, then I'm able to, you know, I have this big right. Well, we're not talking about from 
that man's, that older man's perspective. We're not talking about from the older brother's perspective. We're talking about from the younger man's perspective, from the younger brother's perspective. How ought you to react? How ought you to respond? How ought you to address those who are older than you? And the answer is appeal to them as to a father. Do not sharply rebuke them. Those who are older than us are to be respected as those who are older than us. And then, when Timothy does that work of rebuking, he is to do it with the appropriate appeal as to a father. And that word, appeal, you know, you know how sweet that is, right? When you think about a sharp rebuke and you think about as opposite as you can get from a sharp rebuke, it's that, it's that tenderness, that sweetness, that begging. Please, don't do this. Please, Don't be that way. You know you need to stop. Won't you stop? As a matter of fact, I think one of the first things that needs to be said here is that Timothy cannot obey Paul here where he says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. Timothy cannot obey that command without seeing the sin of older men and dealing with it. Right? Now, I want you to take that and I want you to apply it beyond simply the pastor. Husbands and wives. We know that there's a difference between a husband and a wife, right? We know that the man is the head of the household. We know that God designed it this way. We know there's a difference between a father and a mother. But does that mean that mothers are not allowed to speak to the father and to address their sin? Absolutely not. We are not just allowed to point out the sin of those who are above us. We are also allowed to point out the sin of those who are superior to us. So I was saying that these are just just older men. That's all that's being said about them. But were some of those older men the elders of the church at Ephesus? Undoubtedly. Were some of them much more steeped in the faith over many more years than Timothy? Yeah, undoubtedly. You you see, (laughs) Timothy's given the, the awkward 
work of confronting and exhorting and rebuking and prescribing and teaching these things within the context of not just some people being older than him, not just some men being older than him, but also some of those men being spiritually beyond him. It's an awkward position, isn't it? So whether whether you are dealing with somebody who is superior to you in age, who is superior to you in life station, who is superior to you in experience, someone who is superior to you simply through them being your father or your head, your boss, your husband, etc., you are not freed by this from dealing with their sins. Timothy is still obligated to do those things. He is simply to change how he does it on the basis of who they are. So, Moms, as you raise your children, you learn to deal with their sin. You deal with it differently than you deal with your husband's sin, but you still deal with your husband's sin. Kids, as you're growing up and you see your brothers and your sisters, your younger brothers and sisters, and you see their sin and you're learning how to call them to obedience, without it only being about you and your selfishness. You're also supposed to learn to call your parents to obedience and faith. And you do it a very different way. And you'll figure it out more and more as you grow up, and you'll make lots and lots of mistakes as you try to do it the first thing that you need to learn is you appeal gently. You don't rebuke sharply an older man. Now, one man who became an elder spent a few years thinking deeply just on knowing his place, on on each of us knowing our place. Knowing your place is really knowing what your relationship is to all those other people and how how, how that changes your interactions with them. If you know your place and you know their place, then you know how you're supposed to interact with them. But you have to actually study and think about this, is is what I'm saying. Have you ever been around kids where they're asking each other how old they are? What are they doing? They're establishing their place. They're, They're figuring out the order, aren't they? 
I'm nine too. Well, when, what, when, what month were you born? You know? And, and so often we try to figure out our place so that we can figure out how important we are. We're trying to, we're trying to put ourselves into the, the biggest, highest, most important position that we can find for ourselves, right? But how many, how many of us are trying to find our place simply so that we know how we ought to interact with other people. And part of knowing your place is knowing your spiritual maturity, not just knowing your physical age, your physical maturity. Knowing your place does not mean refusing to see what you see about men who are above you, It doesn't mean refusing to confront their sin. But when you think back to the Old Testament, you remember the sons of Noah. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? And two of those sons dealt with their father appropriately by covering his nakedness when he got drunk and got naked. What a shameful thing for Noah to do, right? His sons didn't ignore it. Oh, I never saw that. No, they dealt with it appropriately. Two of them. One of them dealt with it inappropriately. And for that, he was cursed. So let us learn our place, not so that we can avoid responsibility of dealing with those who are older than us, but so that we can learn how to deal with it appropriately. There is an appropriate way of calling people to obedience. There's an appropriate way of addressing sin, but it's not generic for people. It's particular to who those people are and who you are. What your position is. What their position is. And what Paul begins to do here is he begins to connect the physical family with the spiritual family. And he begins to apply those lessons that we've learned in the world of growing up and of being a part of a family of your mother and your father. And he begins to bring them into the church and he begins to apply those lessons to the family of the church. So just like I apply to men who are getting married, the lesson of how they treat their mother and say that if you do not treat your mother with respect and love and the honor that is due her, you will never know the appropriate way to treat your wife. You will not treat her well if you do not treat your mother well. Not because they are in the same position, right? They're not. You're not supposed to treat them identically. But you can apply the one to the other. Your mother to the mother of your children. There are certain 
similarities, aren't there? And so Paul does the same thing into the church. He says, concerning widows, concerning older men, concerning younger men, concerning older women and younger women, how you relate to them is in the church is supposed to look like what you've already learned how to do outside the church in those kinds of relationships. And so what that means is that, likewise, if you don't treat your mother with respect, you won't ever know how to interact rightly with the older women of the church. You see, because you can't apply what Paul is saying to Timothy about how to deal with the older men and the older women unless you already know what that is supposed to look like in those other outside-of-the-church relationships, right? Does that make sense? So it doesn't just work to say how you treat your mom is how you're going to treat your wife. It also works to say how you treat your mom is how you're going to treat the older women in the church. It also works to say that uh, until you figure out how to do the more basic of dealing with your mom appropriately, you won't ever be able to really learn how to deal with the older women in the church appropriately. And you think of Timothy and his the, the love that he must have had for his mother and his grandmother as they raised him in the faith, you know. They, they were the ones who taught him, trained him, raised him up. And think of the honor that he would have for them. Paul even calls it out in, in his letter to Timothy. <clears throat> the faith that is in you and you know, was in your grandmother and your mother before you. He's calling Timothy to walk in their footsteps. To give them the honor to... To, to pay back to them the work that they put into him. You see that? And he begins to do that again here with widows. He begins to talk about paying back the widows. There is this older woman this category of people, older women who have lost their husband, and they are particular in their vulnerability, right? They are, the, the, the particular needs that they have are unique on the basis of the fact that they're women, on the basis of the fact that they're older, on the basis of the fact that they've lost those that, that man who cared for, protected, provided for her. And so, this is not Paul talking about the uselessness of older women. This is not Paul talking about the, uh, you know, the inability of older women, whether that's to protect themselves or care for themselves or anything like that. What we want to do immediately when we begin making these kinds of distinctions is just get offended. Well, you know, I went to college so that I wouldn't have, so that I would be okay when my husband dies. 
Or I went to, you know, I know I'm still able to take care of myself. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's just saying there is a certain honor due widows. The church is supposed to watch out for them and care for them. And when we talk about honor in this particular case, it's clear from the context as we go further on that he's talking about them being provided for physically for their, for their physical needs. Okay? Just like when Paul's writing and he talks about the elders who rule well being worthy of double honor, you could almost say it just means they're worthy of double pay. It's a certain way that we honor people, giving them money, but it's, they're not, they're not perfectly equivalent, right? You know, it's like, in this case, I just want you to realize it is, it is clearly talking about the physical care provision for these older women. And that it is a, it is a particular kind of honor for the church to be providing for and meeting their physical needs. But the place of a widow, Paul doesn't just leave it at widow generically. Remember I said he does a deep dive? This is the deep dive. He says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Now, what is a widow indeed? Does Paul really have to be constantly making distinctions? Can't we just leave it at widows? Honor widows. Yes, everybody loves the thought of honoring widows. No, 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 no. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Oh, great. Now we have to distinguish between and start being like, well, you're not worthy of honor. No, that's not what Paul is saying. What is he saying? He's saying there are certain widows who need us to be physically caring for them and providing for them as a church. And there are others who don't need it. And so you ought to be distinguishing even further in their place. It's not simply determined on the basis of whether her husband is dead. Does she have other family? That makes all the difference, doesn't it? If any widow, verse 4, has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. The widows are to pay their debt to their parents through their work with their children and grandchildren. Or you might say that the widow's children and grandchildren are to pay their debt to their mother. The they in this verse, let's look at it again. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. The they there, it's not exactly clear which it's talking about. It might be talking about the widow or it might be talking about the widow's family. Now, why do I bring that up? Just to introduce confusion to you. I could have just picked one and gone with it. But I want you to realize there are places like this all through the Bible where, you know, 
there's just some ambiguity left there in the text of who exactly he's talking about. And I think that's really helpful. I think it's helpful because I get to say to all of you, you are they. <laughs> and either way you read it, it makes complete sense. And you say, well, how in the world can, can a widow repay a debt to her dead parents and grandparents? And I say, have we really lost any understanding of the fact that we are in a line of a family? Is is there nothing left that you can do for your ancestors? I know that the Africans worship their ancestors. I'm not advocating that we begin to worship our ancestors. If If you've ever watched Black Panther, you have seen ancestor worship brought to the West. All right? We don't worship our ancestors. But is there anything that we can do to honor our fathers and our mothers, our grandfathers, our grandmothers, those who have gone before us? Even if they weren't in the faith. You carry on their legacy. And you can improve their legacy if they were worthless. Such that they can no longer say, nothing good ever came from Nazareth. Remember, that's what they said about Jesus. Has anything good ever come from Nazareth? He carried that name around with him somehow because he was from there. That's that's all it takes. And now we say Jesus of Nazareth. And and that's so, so even the widows, even those whose parents are dead and gone, have the ability to repay what has been given to them, what has been invested in them by their parents by their grandparents. And that's sweet. Or maybe you're the grandchildren and the children. And your mother is still alive. And you can care for her. And you can learn to practice piety by being the one to provide for her. How sweet is that? Either way, what I want you to see is that there is a debt that is owed. And that we are to make a return on the investment of others in us. Now, we're talking about the physical family, but remember what Paul's been doing here. He's been bringing this into the church, and he's been comparing and contrasting. He's been, he's been, he's been, showing us the similarities between these relationships. And some of you owe a substantial debt. Most of us owe a substantial debt. Not just to our earthly mothers and fathers, those who have gone before us physically. Most of us owe a substantial debt to our spiritual fathers and mothers. And for some of you, that spiritual father, fathering and mothering has happened in this church, has happened with people in this church. Regardless, we are to follow that same pattern that Paul lays out for the widows and their relationships and how how we're supposed to work out what we do there. 
We're to follow that same pattern in the church, recognizing that there is a debt that is owed and that it is a beautiful thing to make a return on their investment for them. Jesus condemns those adult children that had grown up who felt no obligation to care for their parents because they had some sort of greater spiritual goal than supporting their parents in their time of need. Oh, that's Corbin. You remember Jesus? What he says is, essentially, to obey is better than sacrifice. Because what they were doing is they were trying to set up this spiritual sacrifice. Oh, I'm going to give my money to the Lord. I'm going to do this great spiritual work. And he says, put your parents in a decent house with enough food to eat. That's what the Lord requires of you. And so whenever we want to, whenever we want to escape from our obligations to our family, there's there's this easy out that we think that we've found this sweet ability to jump out of our obligation, be like, oh, I can make a spiritual decision and I can get out of what I owe by making this spiritual decision that I have this other goal over here that's good and so that'll justify me never making a return on the investment of those who have gone before me, those who have been a mother and a father to me. And we do that by by jumping from the earthly family and being like, oh, well, I'm going to give it all to my spiritual family. Or we do it by being like, oh, well, you know, Jesus says that we need to honor our physical fathers and mothers, so we don't feel any obligation to repay our spiritual fathers and mothers, and we decide we're just going to do everything for our physical families. And either way... We're not being obedient, right? Because the call here is to see the family as a structure that God has set up that's a model that works, that he says he's given his name to every family in heaven and on earth. And so it works the same. It works maybe in columns or rows or however you want to look at it. It's, there is no way to jump from one to the other to avoid the work in the one column. You see what I'm saying? There's a certain built-in correspondence between the biological family and the church family because they both are called by the name of Father. They both come from our Heavenly Father. And so we learn to practice piety in these things by doing good at home First, and then you apply it at church. Second, do you despise and judge your earthly father? Then you will despise and judge your spiritual fathers. Are you embittered at your mother? Then you will be embittered at your spiritual mothers. On the other hand, have you learned to obey your parents with joy? then you will be a delightful church member who obeys with joy 
and doesn't complain whenever anybody asks you to do something. You see how they come together? We learn in one, and it just carries right over to the other family. Our understanding of what honoring our parents looks like is to be informed by natural law and spiritual truths. It's built into us. It's a beautiful reality about how God has made the world. When he said that every family in heaven and on earth gets its name from him, he told us they all work under the same principles from fatherhood on down and that the lessons we learn in one apply to the others. So now, in our passage, when Paul says, for this is acceptable in the sight of God, about how to learn to make a return, right? They must first learn to make some return to their parents. This is acceptable in the sight of God. That's beautiful. Could there be anything more delightful than doing that? It's, it's a strange construction. I want you to see this. It's easy for us to misunderstand. Let's read it again. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. That last little phrase, for this is acceptable in the sight of God, you, th- you would expect him to say, Something more along the lines of, for this is required of all those who seek to be obedient to the name of Jesus Christ. Right? But instead, he he just says, this is acceptable, but acceptable. That's the word I want you to realize. We pervert it in our own minds by, by thinking, oh, well, this is like, oh, well, I mean, if I make a return, then I guess that's acceptable. I guess that'll be okay if I make a return. It won't be condemned if I make a return. No, he's saying, this is acceptable in the sight of God. There's only two kinds of actions. Those that are acceptable in the sight of God and those that are not acceptable. And so, the beauty of this passage is we learn what it looks like to how... To, to treat our parents, to treat our children, how we're to interact with one another, how we're to learn about family relations and then apply them into the church. And then making that return, he says, that will be acceptable to God. And I say, you want to do that. It's beautiful to do what's acceptable to God. In fact, there's really nothing that could be more delightful than finding the thing that you can do that will be acceptable to God. I said natural law before. I want you to think about that. There's this strong, built-in love of mother in our hearts, right? Doesn't mean that we don't pervert it. Doesn't mean that we don't begin to hate her. Doesn't mean that we don't sin against her all the time. But you know when somebody else begins to treat your mother badly, something wells up within you, right? And you think, no. No. That's bad. I don't want that. Why? Because you want your mother treated right. 
Why is that? Does that only exist in Christians? Nope, it's, it's built in. It's built in. And it's because it's acceptable in the sight of God. He made us that way. It's beautiful. There's a strong built-in respect for Father and a desire to have his approval. It's acceptable in the sight of God. Your father might be a lousy, low-down, good-for-nothing drunk, and you can say it as much as you want, but the moment somebody else starts talking about your dad that way, they better learn to think twice before talking that way about your dad, right? It's acceptable in the sight of God. God made us to be able to take advantage of these natural relationships and to learn from them how we're to live and love within the church body. Yes, we can pervert these relationships. We can refuse to forgive our parents. We can refuse to see their sins. We can refuse to learn to practice piety. Or we can learn to practice piety, and it will teach us how to interact with our spiritual family as well, and God will be pleased. Who are your physical, spiritual parents? Actual people I'm talking about. Now, I can ask you, who are your physical parents? And I can ask you, who are your spiritual parents? And either way, you should be able to come up with physical people that I'm talking about. And what do you owe them? Your job, your husband, your wife, years of patient care and provision. What do you owe them? Nothing gives me greater joy than seeking to make a return to my parents. Let's give ourselves to that work. And God says it'll be acceptable to him.